On today's episode of the Read Option, we have a great show lined up. We are previewing the NFL offseason, taking an early look at general, big, you know, bird's eye view here of the quarterback carousel, what teams might be looking at new QBs, what QBs might be on the move, as well as the free agency class for the 2021 offseason and the upcoming 2021 NFL draft. Again, kind of a bigger picture view, just setting the table setting the stage for what the NFL offseason is going to look like over the next few months. Also start off the pod talking about James Harden and player movement in the NBA. Got a fully loaded read option, and it all starts right now. Welcome in, bring it in, let's go. Another episode here of the Read Option Loaded Show, NFL Offseason Preview, all the above. You heard it in the the quick little intro here. Uh, It's been an awesome adventure here to start off the the new year with this podcast. We've had a lot of great success. Thank you again to everybody out there who's listening. Rate, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, And if you didn't tell somebody about the pod last week, tell somebody you know this week. Just going to grow this thing one listener at a time. Uh, like I said, we have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. We're going to have some, hopefully, some interviews coming up over the next few weeks as we get all over the sports world. But today's open is about player empowerment and player movement in the NBA. And we saw something from over the weekend, right? We saw James Harden have his first interview since forcing his way out of Houston and going to Brooklyn. Now, I am a major proponent of player empowerment. I believe that players having a bigger seat at the table or more important seat at the table is really, really important. And and for players to recognize their own value and and ultimately try to do what's going to be in the best interest of their career is objectively a great thing, but it's a little deeper than that. And it starts all the way back in 2010, the decision, right? When LeBron decided he was going to go to the Miami heat, him and Chris Bosh, both as free agents decided to go to Miami. All right, cool. It was a shakeup. It was weird. Hometown kid leaves, but it was totally within his right. And you can't really fault LeBron at the end of the day for doing that. Shortly after, Chris Paul starts to force his way out of New Orleans. He had committed a long amount of his career to playing for the New Orleans Hornets, which is hard to say at this point. He ends up getting traded to the Clippers after the trade to L.A. where he was going to get paired up with Kobe ended up falling through. Dwight Howard out of Orlando. He had been there for how many seasons? 2004, 2005 to 2011, 2012. So we're talking about seven years that he gave the Orlando Magic and took them to uh, NBA Finals, even though they got smacked in 2009 against the Lakers. Uh, you know, Dwight Howard is one of the best players in the league. And he eventually wanted to go to a place that he thought he had a real chance of winning. There was a lot of fractured relationships in that Orlando team. He goes to the Lakers. Didn't last long and was one of the weirdest teams ever, but he ultimately got what he, you know, felt he deserved after having dedicated, you know, a significant amount of time to the Orlando Magic. You can go a little more modern, right? LaMarcus Aldridge, he was a free agent. He had spent the majority of his career in Portland. Tried in every which way he could to make that Portland team well. Ended up being the all-time leading scorer in Trailblazers history. I'm not sure if that still stands or if Dame has passed him yet, but that probably will happen sooner rather than later. Paul George. Remember Paul George in Indiana? Seems like it was a lifetime ago. Well, 
Paul George, with a year and a half left on his contract, decided, I want, I'm not going to sign back here. I'm not going to come back to Indiana. Trade me. Give me a chance to go somewhere else and get some assets back for it and make something of it, right? Indiana got Victor Oladipo back. He ends up moving to Oklahoma City. And then subsequently, when Kawhi decided to sign with the Clippers, he was a part of a trade to go from Oklahoma City to the Clippers. Speaking of Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard had a year and a half left on his deal when he was with, actually had kind of two years left on his deal uh, when he got traded from San Antonio to Toronto, which it wasn't his first choice, but he knew, hey, I got one year left here. I'll run this year out, which they end up, you know, winning an NBA championship. And then I'll go and I'll sign with where I want to go. He ends up in LA with Paul George. And of course, the most infamous of all of these was Kevin Durant signing with Golden State. And for say what you will about it, the guy just wanted to go and win. And it didn't work out the way that it did. He took more shit than anybody did. I think he took almost as much shit, if not more, than LeBron took for the decision for leaving Cleveland for the first time. Oh, and remember, LeBron also came back to Cleveland and then went to L.A. subsequently after. So this whole idea of player movement and fluidity amongst rosters and superstars has become a trend in the NBA. You know, we've had disgruntled superstars in the past. You think of Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, even Shaq moving from Orlando, right? These things have happened in the NBA, and, and they've happened quite frequently. Now, it's worth noting, though, that when Kyrie left Cleveland, it was amongst a whole slew of drama. Remember, Kyrie was kind of the sympathetic figure in that whole deal. LeBron had you know, basically put his name in potential trade talks after he had already helped win them a championship, hit the game-winning shot you know, against Golden State. That was Kyrie. who you know, They both had incredible games that day, and LeBron had the chase-down block, which is the thing that most people remember from that final game. But Kyrie's the one who hit the game-winner at the end of the day. So Kyrie had done a lot for LeBron. And when he found out his name was in trade talk, something kind of broke within Kyrie. He's never really been the same since. And with two years left on his deal, he wanted out of Cleveland. That's pretty noticeable because for the most part, when these guys ask for trades, they're either in a contract year or they have like a year and a half left on their deal. So for Kyrie to request the trade that early wasn't unprecedented. But it's not something that happened more than a handful of times throughout the course of NBA history. Not too long after that, Anthony Davis in New Orleans spent the better part of six years playing for the Pelicans. Played really, really well. A lot of people thought he was the next great, you know, all-time player. And he still might be. I mean, Anthony Davis is freaking incredible. But AD started requesting for a trade with two and a half years left on his contract. And this is when things start to feel a little muddier, right? We're seeing this whole idea of player empowerment start to take on, you know, almost a little too empowering. And it's not to say that, look, you know, I understand, recognize your worth. And again, I'm as pro player as you can get, but I also think it's a case by case basis. You know, when, when you are Dwight Howard or LaMarcus Aldridge or Chris Paul, or even LeBron, his first stint with Cleveland, and you've given the, you know, eight to nine years of your prime to this organization, and it doesn't work, and you have one year left on your deal, or you wait until you get to free agency, and then you move. But Anthony Davis requesting the trade as early as he did sets a kind of dangerous precedent. Because when Anthony Davis put in that trade, they just stopped playing him. 
and it was really ugly for a while. And it wasn't until the whole season ended. He didn't play that entire last part of his, of his year. He eventually gets what he wants. He gets traded to the Lakers to go play with LeBron and signs an extension. He waited a little bit though, but he did. So Anthony Davis like really said, watch this. I'm going to sit out. I'm not going to play here. And part of that was on the Pelicans trying to preserve his value to try to get as much back as they could. And look, they got lucky and it turned into Zion in addition to Brandon Ingram, who's been really, really good as well, despite being a, a tough piece to fit in with people. Let's go up to today, right? Because every few months, there's another superstar that's eager to move. There's another superstar who wants to change teams. James Harden was the unhappy superstar this year. And James Harden decided, I don't want to be in Houston anymore. I know this whole franchise basically risked all of their future assets and traded all, all of their picks to Oklahoma City to get or to LA and then to Oklahoma City to get Chris Paul and then to get Russell Westbrook. And they put everything they had. They built their entire offense, the entire organization, every single aspect of it was entirely built around James Harden. But ultimately, James Harden is a Brooklyn net right now. So then the big question is, you're probably asking, like, why does this matter? Why does this matter if these guys want to change teams? Why does it matter if players recognize their power? It matters because there has to be a line, right? The blatant disregard for the franchise that superstars leave is starting to get a little out of hand. Like, like I said, I'm almost always player first. You know, why side with a billionaire over the millionaire? I, I never understood that. Why, why people are so eager to defend you know, billionaire Steve Ballmer or Mark Cuban or even, you know, Tito Fertitta, uh, the, the guy who's the owner of the Rockets. I have never understood that. I'm more on the side of, of the players. But there has to be some sort of a middle ground. The freedom of movement in the NBA is great for the league in many, many ways. But what James Harden did forcing his way out of a franchise that did everything humanly possible to make him happy for eight years. You know, that, that is one thing. If you're unhappy, you gave them eight years. You were close to a title. I can handle that, but it's the way that he went about doing it this time. That, that to me is just, is crazy. It's that's the way he did it is where now we're crossing that line, right? To go about trying to move on from Houston by partying and flying to Vegas to go to strip clubs in the middle of a freaking pandemic while all of his like fans have to deal with this fucked up world that we live in now, it's weak on his part. And it honestly, it shows how tone deaf he is. And on top of that, to see him do this interview this weekend with Rachel Nichols, the first time that he's talked openly about the Houston Rockets. And he said, I don't like how it ended. That's not who I am. Oh, it's not? You're not the guy who's notorious for going to strip clubs? But then this was the thing he actually, that, that he said that really, really ticked me off. He said it could have gone smoother in regards to his, his leaving of Houston. It could have gone smoother, yeah. Well, whose fucking fault is that, bro? <laughs> like, you're the guy. You're the one that did this. You're the one that gained all this weight and basically ate and drank your way and partied your way out of Houston. And again, in the middle of a freaking pandemic, and you are sitting there being mad at the organization 
who has done everything in their power to try to make you who you are, you know, surrounding you with Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker. So you could play small ball. So you could just shoot as many freaking threes and pack up 10 plus assists and win an MVP and have three scoring titles. It drives me nuts. It really does. But to put a bow on this whole thing, player empowerment can be a really great thing. But player empowerment is not what the James Harden trade was. That was player entitlement. He felt entitled to act like a dick and get his way out of Boston. However, it happened. However, by any means, he was getting out of Houston. And it speaks volumes about him. And again, it's a dangerous precedent to set. If guys can do that and still get the outcome that they want at the end of the day, that's a problem. I don't know how big, and I don't know if every superstar is going to do it that way. I doubt it. But it's a problem nonetheless. All right, now time to switch gears a little bit. We're going to hop on to the NFL. I know, like I said last week, the football season just ended, but it's never too early to think about next year. So I brought in the boys, Scotty and Vito. We're going to give you a little preview of what the NFL offseason looks like standing now, February 15th before any of the real action begins. So, gentlemen, how we doing? Thanks for hopping on with me once again today. It's lovely to see your, your smiling faces. It's good to talk a little football, you know, even though it's over. I mean, uh, we got the draft. We have this offseason, and there's a lot of skill out there to be had by each team. Yeah, my wife and I went out of town this weekend, came back yesterday. I turned on the TV to see if there was any sports on. Uh, there was nothing. So, football, please. Let's talk football. <laughs> I am excited to talk football because um, this offseason is set up to be very unique in that there are a lot of teams looking to switch quarterbacks. And I remember talking to you guys in the fall and looking around and being like, look at all of the talent that is there. We had the ending of the old guard, right? We saw Phil Rivers retire. It looks like Drew Brees is going to be headed down that path. The future with Big Ben is uncertain. And obviously Tom Brady just keeps on winning. Uh, but even like Aaron Rodgers, guys like that who are, you know, mid to late 30s, uh, you know, we, we, there's a lot of still old guard, but we have a lot of young talent in the league right now, too. Uh, whether it was the rookie class from last year, Justin Herbert blew up, Joe Burrow. Uh, obviously, we hope that he gets back healthy right now. Everything looks like he's going to be ready for the start of next year, which is incredible. Um, the, the knee surgeon that they have, I think it's, I don't know if it's James Andrews or another one, but the, whoever the knee surgeon who's been doing all the Achilles and ACL tears for the NFL has been killing it lately. But then you also have like your, your kind of guys who are in their prime right now, your Patrick Mahomes and, and other people like Deshaun Watson who have been in the news quite a bit lately. But on top of that, we have a loaded uh, wider uh, loaded draft class coming up this year. Uh, and there's a lot of interesting free agents too. So we're going to give you just a quick overview what to look for as the next few months continue to develop. And guys, like everything with football, we have to start with the quarterbacks. And we are looking at a truly unique season or offseason here when it comes to quarterbacks. To my estimation, now ESPN put out a graphic a couple weeks ago that said there was like 24 different teams that could have a new starting quarterback next year, and, and which is, you know, absurd. And, and realistically, um, as we continue down, it looks like that number has shrunk a little bit. But there's a case to be made, again, just me, I went through the teams today, 
16 different teams in the NFL could theoretically have a new quarterback next year. What would seem plausible, like not a far stretch. So we're talking about the New York Jets, Falcons, the Eagles, Detroit, maybe. I know they just got Jared Goff, but they're, you know, certain mocks have them taking a quarterback in the first round. So we're not 100% sure what that will look like. Uh, Carolina, Denver, Dallas, San Francisco, New England, Vegas, Washington, Chicago, Indy, Pittsburgh, New Orleans, and potentially, but not likely, the Houston Texans. Now, guys, and you can put in Jacksonville too, but I think we all know where Jacksonville's heading with that first overall pick. So right off the bat, what team intrigues you the most based off of where they were, the pieces that are surrounding them right now that could end up bringing in someone new to help lead their team to, uh, you know, maybe a rejuvenated re overhaul. Uh, What what do you guys think right off the bat here? I I think the first team you look at is Pittsburgh. I mean, just because of the defense. And if you're talking about bringing in a new quarterback and establishing, you know, any kind of change system, the fact that your strength is the other side of the ball really, really helps. Um, You know, they just went 10 and 0 and like, like you're saying, you know, we'll see what happens there, but that's the team when you run through those, that I think everyone's intrigued to see next year. And especially even with the new quarterback, you know, that team is going to be a force to reckon with on the defensive side. I, I tend to agree with you that uh, with the defensive part of it, and there are two teams that jump out to me uh, just on the front end are the Colts and the 49ers both have excellent defenses. Both were playoff teams. Well, it, a year ago, not this past season, but two seasons ago. Um, and both have, uh, guys with like Frank Reich and uh, and Kyle Shanahan that have that can have explosive offenses. Additionally, in Indianapolis, you have a rookie running back who is poised to break out uh, as he did in the last third of the season last year in uh, Jonathan Taylor. And uh, you got um, you got wide receiver weapons too. You still got T.Y. Hilton for for all that's worth. You've you've got um, oh who's the rookie that uh, was a fantasy treasure late in the season. Um, Pittman um but but yeah I and with the 49ers obviously the weapons are there I think Ayuk is a stud um I think he's a legit uh wide receiver one next year and if if we get a quarterback that can actually hit any of our wide receivers um we I'm a 49ers fan for those of you not listening if if the Niners get a quarterback that can actually hit any of their wide receivers I think they're in they're in business with the defense uh as long as they can shore up that uh that secondary San Francisco is a really interesting team because you can look at it from a couple different perspectives. And there's been a lot of names linked to the 49ers. Now, I still think Jimmy G can be a good quarterback in this league. Uh, And ironically, I think it's a good system for him. But I think with similarly to what you see in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz and and places in Chicago with Mitch Trubisky, I think you get to a point where just too many bridges have been burned too many, you know, it's just, you, you need to kind of move on. You need to look at that next uh, potential option. I think San Francisco is definitely going to be a team to watch. I would also throw new Orleans on that list. Um, they're one of the teams that we know for sure is uh, well, we don't know for sure, but is about 99% sure that drew Brees will not be back next year. Um, and, and we saw already yeah. they restructured his deal to make his cap hit. I think it was close to 40 million all the way now it's down to 2 million next year. Uh, that, that sounds but as though I'll they're tell you be- what new Orleans is in trouble with their contracts. I mean, they really are. 
They yeah. got a lot on the books. And now, re- and but not rest- a whole lot of wiggle room. Restructuring Breeze gives them a, a, a good chunk of wiggle room. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if they'd be going out and going after someone like, uh, you know, like even like Matt Ryan, his contract's not terrible, but, you know, if they were able to pull off something for Deshaun, uh, or, or if they wanted to make a move for, say, someone like Dak Prescott, who's going to be owed a lot of money um, coming up here shortly. It, uh, you know, uh, that being said, they also have a guy who's been in-house that they've been working with for a year who they would be able to get for a cheap contract in Jameis Winston. So uh, just, again, another team that from a roster standpoint is is poised to make a run. All they need is to find the quarterback. And, and I know that's saying a lot like, yeah, of course, every team in the NFL can say, Oh, we're you know just a great quarterback away, but they don't need a great quarterback. They need a quarterback who can throw the ball more than 20 yards down the field and isn't Taysom Hill. Yeah. Now, when you look at this list though, I, I do want to talk about these. So like Scott, when we're talking about the rest of these other free agency quarterbacks, you know, we've talked obviously about Dak and, and that situation, is there anyone else that jumps out that you really want to see in a specific team or just see what they do next year if they can get a starting job? No, I don't know. Maybe Bridgewater, but I, I don't I don't think so. I think it's I think it's a lot of, of people are willing to rather hedge their bet and trade assets, except the 49ers, trade assets to get one of the, either one of these top guys, Deshaun Watson. Um Aaron Rodgers, if he's available, uh, Russell Wilson, if he's available, which I don't think either of the last two are, um, or take their chance in the draft on one of those top five guys and trade assets to, to get up in the draft and get them. I, I, I don't, I don't see anyone that, that jumps out to me, Matt really? Ryan, maybe, but I, if you can get a Matt Ryan, him, but Matt Ryan's really free agent. No, but, but his contract is very reasonable. He's only got two years left after that. He's got this year and one more. So 21, 2022, San Francisco, remember, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator when Matt Ryan won the MVP in Atlanta. So if, if you are San Francisco and you think you are in the middle of a championship window, whether it's Nick Bosa, the other pieces, which I think, frankly, you know, San Francisco and maybe they're following the Sean McVay model, right, in, in L.A., which is just we're always in win, win now mode. Like that, that's how the Rams think is we are always in win now mode no matter what. And if we're not there, then what trades do we have to make to get to that point? And maybe that's what San Francisco is thinking about. But when you, when you look at how their roster is constructed, they're built for a long-term success, but they're just thinking, it seems as though they, they could just be thinking about this year. Now, if they were able to pull off a trade for Deshaun Watson, that would be great. But guys like, and this is kind of where I wanted to take this next is Deshaun Watson. He, he's kind of in a lose, lose situation here. There, there is no reason for him to be traded. If you are the Houston Texans, there is, there is no incentive. There's nothing they can get out of it. Um, and, and look, they can drive up the price as, as much as they want. And if it becomes a historic haul, maybe you start to think about it, but they just released JJ Watt. And you cannot convince me otherwise that that wasn't a giant fuck you to Deshaun Watson. Like, Oh yeah. You know, JJ Watt asked for his release. He asked to move on from, you know, to move on from the team and they granted it to him. And we're, we're talking about arguably the most, recognizable Houston Texan of all time. I mean, it's him or, yeah. him or Andre Johnson and they, they just let him go. They let him go and do his thing. Like we said, he has three defensive player of the year awards. He's yeah. the, you know, him and Aaron Donald, the only guys to do that. He's, he's legendary. one of the great, he's one of the greatest defensive players the league's ever had. And as and, an ambassador to your franchise, if you're thinking about getting rid of Deshaun, you don't get rid of JJ there, or, you know, maybe you're talking about cleaning the full house, which wouldn't make sense. You want that guy to be your, your franchise face and, 
JJ would be great for that. He has been. So like, uh, you're right. This, this whole move kind of solidifies that like, no, we're, we're keeping our guy and I, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because there's a lot of options and a lot of different ways like this whole thing can go, but it, it's, it's going to be, I think really, really interesting to see in between now and the draft, what teams solidify um, trades to move up versus like kind of sit dormant. And that's, what's going to be interesting to see if a trade happens for Deshaun near draft time. Right. To see yeah. like, that's when this thing kind of picks back up again. I, I don't know. Like or if he's a piece in a draft day trade. Well, it's, well. he is the, the trade. Like, that's what I mean. You'd have to do all these other, you'd have to give up a bunch of firsts and all this stuff just to get them just like moving I mean, up. To me, for, if you're the Texans, you're bereft of life in the draft for the foreseeable future, much like the Rams are. Um, would it, I, my incentive would be to, yeah, Watson's great. Uh, he's a generational talent at quarterback, but, um, we don't have a draft pick <laughs> a first round draft pick at least uh, for a while. Cause Bill O'Brien screwed us, but the, that's the incentive to me. If you're Houston is to be able to get that kind of capital and bank on building that way, especially now that you have a new coach, new front office. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's actually a really good point, Scott. Um, because yeah. yeah, they did sell a lot of draft picks uh, to get guys like Laramie Ten Tunsil, right. You know, they made a lot of moves to, give them give themselves a chance to win but now their future is mortgaged because of it yeah uh, and you will get a huge haul back for Deshaun Watson but also you want a quarterback you want a quarterback on a rookie contract right if cuz so basically if you're Houston you're not tr making a trade to go up and get a new quarterback this year Houston's just in a really really tough spot they're in a spot where you know, I think objectively, we all want to see Deshaun Watson go and play in a place that values him because similarly 49. to Dallas, which and I can't even say that they don't value him because they gave him at the time the biggest extension in football before Deshaun or before Patrick Mahomes beat it. Actually, no, his extension came after Mahomes. Um, but it was still I think it's the second biggest extension in NFL history. So you're giving him a monster contract. You're putting your faith in him. And, and it probably does feel a little bit like a like a fuck you on the Texan side of it, it's like, Hey, we just committed all this money to you. And now you're, you know, pushing your way out. But between all of the little things that I, some of, some of which I highlighted last week, you know, Jack Easterby telling him, you know, Hey, I'm going to come to you during this, this search for a new GM. I want your input. And then just completely ignoring him and making a hiring without ever talking to Deshaun Watson after he went out of his way to tell Deshaun, Hey, I'm here to, to help you with this. It's, I just think it's going to be really difficult for him to actually get moved and he can sit out. He can try the levy on bell model, but what is he going to sit out for four years? Like at some point he's going to have to come in. And, and if he doesn't show up, then that just means that the Texans don't have to pay him and they can bring in a quarterback and lose a bunch of games and have a top draft pick next year and down the line and continue to do it that way. So I don't know if there's a clean outcome unless somebody puts together like a Godfather package or it's another like young quarterback that might have um, some sort of potential that had, you know, to make the contracts work. So it's less of a cap hit um, on the, on the uh, Houston side, but I, I would like to see him moved. I would like to see him moved. Um, one, I have a couple other things here when it comes to quarterbacks. I want to get into the rest of uh, just kind of free agency and whatnot. Um, Sam Darnold. 
is a really interesting case study when it comes to quarterbacks. Because it's, you know, we saw what happened firsthand when Ryan Tannehill got away from Adam Gase, right? Like Ryan Tannehill became a $120 million quarterback and has frankly, like he's one of the few quarterback, like one of the few teams that we know they have their quarterback for this year and next year and probably year after is Tennessee and Ryan Tannehill. Sam Darnold was the unanimous number one overall pick until Baker Mayfield went on that run and, and came in, but he was still the number two overall pick. He's still one of the greatest high school prospects. So he has insane raw talent and he still makes throws on the regular that like blow, like blow your mind. Like he has elite level arm talent. And he was with a team that has been an organization that has been one of the most dysfunctional ones in all of sports in the New York jets. But we have seen blips where if under the right leadership and the right GM and the right coaching staff, like Mike Tannenbaum and Rex Ryan, they go to back-to-back NFC, uh, AFC championship games. I think Sam Darnold is definitely going to be moved. So I'm curious to hear a, what you guys both think and B of the quarterbacks that we know could be on the move. Where do you have him comparatively? Actually where I have him, I'll start off with the, with the end of that. It, I kind of have him. I feel like almost like another draft pick. Like he has some experience, but like you put it, I don't have a lot of faith in that organization. So if I'm an organization on the outside and everyone feels this way, right? Looking at other organizations, like we have our stuff together. We're ready. We're about to make this move. You know, we're off on the right foot. And, um, I think a lot of organizations are going to go into this and realize I probably can't make these picks and give up all this capital to move up in the draft in the top five picks, right? That's really, really expensive. You're talking about multi-year, multi-round um, picks being given up to do that. And this is one where you might be able to get away with like, I don't know, what are you guys feeling like a two? I don't know what some of the reports are out there on them, but the point is, is you can get away with trading a lot less for Sam Darnold. And I think that's where he's going to fall. It's someone who doesn't want to spend big either in free agency on one or two of these guys who might come free or, or a big package deal for a quarterback or, um, you know, want a younger guy to grow, but don't want to draft one of these top guys. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think San Francisco is probably the, the perfect place for Sam Darnold, to be honest. I think if you're trading for Sam Darnold, I think it's almost more a feather in his cap to see what he was able to do with the Jets, given what he had. Then That's a really good point. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think it's almost more impressive that he was able to do as well as he did uh, than, you know, and again, like he had everything working against him. He had a terrible offensive line his entire time in New York. And there's a lot of reports saying that he may stay. You know, they may draft Devontae Smith. You know, they got their left tackle. Mm-hmm. The, the Jets got Mekhi Becton, who was the most raw product at left tackle. Um, but they also have a, a God, good he's new. huge. <laughs> oh, yeah. He, he's, he might be the most physically gifted person in all of the NFL. Like, he is that <laughs> much of a freak athlete at his size to move the way that he does. Uh, his footwork, all of it that has, you know, he, he was a really, really good player this year. If they make the right pieces, um, you know, I think they can make a run. But I look at that front office right now. It's run by Joe Douglas, who I think is, is one of the most underrated execs in all of football. Uh, Robert Sala ultimately is going to be the question, right? Is Robert Sala, does he want Sam Darnold there, right? The offense that they're building, do the, when they assess the tape, is it enough to say, hey, you know what? We know in the next couple of years we're going to have to give him an extension can we build a roster that can, you know, in the next two years before that happens, uh, that we are able to, you know, make something happen. Now at that number two spot, let's say they do like Sam Darnold, that number two spot, especially knowing that Trevor Lawrence is basically a lock at number one. 
becomes insanely valuable. It's essentially like the number one overall pick because we all know who's going number one. So you're, you know, you could sell that number two pick for a first rounder this year, a first rounder next year, and probably a third or a fourth. So let's say you decide, hey, we're going to keep Sam Darnold. We're going to trade our second overall pick. We're going to trade down in the draft. We'll draft Micah Parsons to help out our defense, you know, or we'll, we'll draft Jamar Chase at number seven. You know, there's a lot of different directions that they can go, but it all hinges on how do you feel about Sam Darnold? Do you think Sam Darnold is the long-term future for the New York Jets? And if you're a Jets fan, you're probably ready to move on from Sam Darnold. And if you're Sam Darnold, I don't know, man. San Francisco sounds pretty nice. You know, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, they have a lot of good talent there. And on top of it, you get to go learn from Kyle Shanahan. He's from, you know, he's from the Bay Area. He went to USC. So it'd be kind of a coming home party for him on top of all of that. I think he's no, worth. No, 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 He's from L.A. <laughs> Sorry. He's. The West Coast is all the same out from me here. On the East Coast. It's basically all just California, even though I know it's like a massive state with mountains and snow and everything. It's just, no, it's California is the same. It's all just blonde hair. And you're talking to two Gator California Bros. boys. So we, we know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Before we move on from the quarterbacks here, I wanted to hit this with Sam Darnold. Uh, Cause there's one quarterback we haven't talked about here. And I think this is a fascinating debate. Would you rather have Sam Darnold or Carson Wentz? Because the, hot, the height of Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz. is still, there we go. I like this. I like the discourse. All right. I, I'm, I'm split still. I think from a, from a contract standpoint, from a front office standpoint, I think the no brainer answer is Sam Darnold, right? Cause he is, he's definitely more raw. You know, you, if you get him with the right coach and whatnot, who can kind of help develop him a little more than New York was able to the last couple of years, but we've seen Carson basically be the league MVP, right? We we've seen Carson be, the best quarterback in the NFL for, you know, the first 12, 13 weeks he played before getting hurt a couple of years ago, the height there versus, and, and that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. Cause I think there's a case to be made that the, the absolute ceiling for Sam Darnold is close to that. You know, they were both number two overall picks, but with Carson's contract, you get it in a trade. It's like four years and 96 million, I think. So it's not a bad contract for the receiving team. You're talking about basically the same contract as like Kirk Cousins. And that's a workable contract. So it's, it's not the $125 million extension. It seems like when you just see the headline, oh, Carson Wentz signed this. So I think it's a tough call. I would lean Sam Darnold, which is tough because I love Carson Wentz. Um, so here's why I think Carson is, is the pick it's, it's hard. It's, first of all, you've seen him do it. And I, and I think that's, there's something to that. Like once you've done it in the NFL, you know, you can do it and you can get back to that point. And we've seen it happen. A lot of quarterbacks moving spots. It's come obviously a lot more often in the last 20 years, but seen more success in second and third, you know, locations we just talked about Ryan Tannehill. Right. So I, I also think that like, with Carson, you could see the same thing. And what I instantly thought of, and I know the offensive line isn't great, but like somehow they wouldn't trade him in her division, but like, you know, if he could somehow get out of his deal or something and go to like Washington, like yeah. he needs to be a guy who like can have a chip on his shoulder and a reason why he like has to go at a team or something like that. He has to stay in the NFC, I would say. And like, that would be good for him as, as just like a player and motivation. But I think he can go yeah. into a team that's younger and he, you know, has a lot of leadership. Like he definitely takes control. Um, that's never been the issue, you know, with, with him. So like, I would love to see him in a situation like that. And I think he can really make a team a lot better. 
Like, I'll put it this way. If Jacksonville, for some reason, had, like, traded away all their picks and they didn't have a number one overall, Carson would be a really interesting fit for a program like that, where it's, like, a new coach coming in, like, new system, new everything. I think – I mean, I think the old – I mean, obviously the place he's been linked to the most was Indianapolis, the Frank Mm -hmm. Wright connection. Uh, Chicago Chicago was rumored to be in that mix. Uh, I think it's telling that San Francisco's name hasn't popped up for that. I think it tells you what the 49ers think of Carson Wentz, but out of all these places, I think San Francisco is the best landing spot for any of these quarterbacks. Um, But there's a lot of other interesting teams and we don't have to go in depth. And I'll I'll just, you know, like you said, right off the top Pittsburgh, Uh, it seems like they're going to be able to do something with big Ben's contract. Big Ben wants to come back, but his cap, you know, his cap worth is like $41 million. So they're going to be actively trying to get that number lower with him. But if he doesn't want to agree to a term or whatever, and I think, look, when you've been at a place as long as, Ben Roethlisberger has been in Pittsburgh. You want to finish your career. There. Like that's ultimately the end goal is to make sure that you still get to finish where you started and won two Super Bowls and, and was one of the best quarterbacks of our you know recent generation. Yeah, until um, Brady goes in his first year, wins a Super Bowl with his next right. team. Now Ben's like, I'll right. go do that. Who's yeah, the right. next Tampa? <laughs> no, um, but but you also have to throw in like Las Vegas, like Derek Carr, mm-hmm. like they're uh, out there still. Um, there's just there's a lot of different movement here. I think Denver is another really good one because Denver has a really good defense. You know, I, th- I think Denver has the capability uh, of, yeah. you know, again, you get the right guy in there, plus that young core of wide receivers and Jerry Judy uh, and Corton Sutton coming back next year. There's there's a lot to be uh, excited about here. Um, and I'll say this too. Remember, 16 different teams. We're not going to have 16 different teams with different quarterbacks. That's just potential outcomes. And I think when you look at just potential outcomes – uh, this offseason is going to be wild when it comes to the quarterback position. I'm, I'm excited. Um, I want to hit on some of the other stuff here and just look at kind of free agency as a whole here, guys. Um, right off the bat, I broke down. I went through all the unrestricted free agents. Mike Clay, if you're interested, put out uh, a great chart that has all of all of the unrestricted free agents broken down by position. And I, I don't know how they're ranked. Uh, but they seem to be ranked in an order of like top tier down to bottom. I don't know if it's exact, but you can kind of work your way through there. Um, right now, I broke this this free agency class down in three ways. There's a few loaded position groups. There's a few really weak position groups. And then there are some that are just interesting, where there's some interesting names that I didn't realize were unrestricted free agents that I more than likely might end up back with the same team. But again, if you're an unrestricted free agent, you can kind of end up going anywhere and there's going to be some tough decisions that teams have to make. So right off the bat, I want to start with the loaded group because I think by far the position that is overwhelmingly uh, the deepest is the wide receiver position. And just right off the bat, I'll I'll list off like the top tier names that are available this year. Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin, Penn State, Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, Will Fuller, Corey Davis, Curtis Samuel, Antonio Brown, Sammy Watkins, T.Y. Hilton, Marvin Jones Jr., Nelson Aguilar. Now, there's a little bit of a gap there between the top and then Nelson Aguilar, but we also saw how valuable Aguilar was on a team this year, right? So uh, as as a second wide receiver or someone like that, uh, definitely could be valuable. Right off the bat there, Scotty, let's start with you. I know you dropped out your two Penn State guys. Uh, That's right. Who's your number one wide receiver in this year's free agency class? I think it's Allen Robinson for me. Um, I'm completely unbiased. The dude does not drop the ball. He had something like uh, like 108 or 110 catches somewhere in that neighborhood this year without a drop. Um, he has like the most diff- like the hardest uh, catch difficulty in the NFL among wide receivers. 
Um, and I think if he if he goes to a place with a wide or a quarterback that can um, let him do his thing and go deep, because that's his strength is is route running deep. Um, I, he'll he'll do very well. I think Godwin's a, a great number two, uh, but Allen Robinson to me is the number one guy among this class. Yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at this, though, I guess I, I agree that it's a loaded position in terms of free agency. But, um, you know, some of these guys, I, I always love to do this. I look at a free agent chart. If you're looking at names, uh, bring up the wide receivers and bring up the cornerbacks. I always do. Or like when you're looking at tackles, look at ends. And when you're looking at linebackers, running backs, it's always fun to look at that because when I see this, I actually think corner is also a very strong pool and, and, and extremely strong. But the guys on this list who are consistently going to beat the free agents on the other side, right? Those top guys, you do look at Juju who has a big playability, but I, I'm really interested in some of the guys like, you know, T Y Hilton and Corey Davis. Like are, are they, st- where are they at? Can, especially T Y, wh- what does his future look like somewhere else? Is he a guy who we kind of haven't seen the production from and are going to write off or will they sign him back and hopefully, you know, get a quarterback. So, um, a couple guys like that are, are who I'm looking at. And then, um, yeah, you know, I think, I think uh, even at the top, it's an interesting story. Does Chris Godwin stay in Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. be the number two guy, even though he's a legit wide, wide receiver one, be the number two guy to, and sometimes number three to, uh, to Mike, uh, Mike Evans and, uh, and Antonio Brown, uh, assuming Brown stays there and with Tom Brady as your quarterback. Or do you go somewhere where you can be the guy? Yeah. Um, same as, for same Godwin, as Robinson. Well, I think for Godwin, I don't have him. I don't think he's a legit number one. I think he's like a, like me at best. I think he's a one B. Um, I, I, and that's not, ta- I, he's a great player. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't know if, and here's the thing too. I think when you just talk about, you know, cause Tampa Bay has a lot of free agents from the Super Bowl team. And, and if anyone was going to be able to say, Hey, everyone, let's take a pay cut. Let's run this back one more year and run it back with Tom Brady, you know, I could, I could totally see that some short-term contracts, but they got to worry about, and we'll get to this in a minute, but they got to worry about Shaq Barrett leaving Levante David leaving, you know, there are a lot of key pieces on that team and it's a very deep wide receiver class this year. Um, you can look at someone like Terrence Marshall jr. Who should be around there in, in the back half of the first round at the end of the first round, second round where Tampa Bay is going to be picking. Um, but I look at for Chris Godwin, more likely what will happen will be Antonio Brown is the one who comes back. Chris Godwin goes somewhere else. I love, you know, Chris Godwin to Baltimore. You know, you talk about, you know, he, yeah. he's great at that over the middle stuff. He's a reliable pass catcher. The durability is is definitely a question, but they got to get some, some better talented wide receivers in Baltimore. Their passing game coordinator is now the head coach of the Houston Texans. So, uh, you know, say what you will there. I mean, they, they had a pretty, bleak passing offense over the last couple of years but I think Chris Godwin you know you don't have to worry about him being a deep threat you have Marquise you know Brown Hollywood Brown's going to be taking the top off the back end and Chris Godwin would be kind of a perfect fit there Um, but the further down you go I mean I look at Kenny Galladay I think Kenny Galladay is is as just a natural like a athlete like what he can bring to the table again his ceiling is a true number one and then the bigger question here is, is the, the value that comes later and later down the line here. I mean, Curtis Samuel had a really good year this year. He had a yeah. breakout season when we kind of been like, hey, when is Curtis Samuel going to be this guy? And he never fully became that guy. 
Um, at Sammy least not in, in Carolina. Yeah, Sammy Watkins is there. T.Y. Hilton, Marvin John Jones Ross. Jr. I mean, Marvin Jones Jr. was the number one in Detroit when Kenny Galladay went down. Uh, and then yeah, Net, you know Nelson Aguilar there too. There's a couple of vets. You know, A.J. Green is out there. Does he get a second? Does he get a chance somewhere else and, and try to have a a back half career, win a Super Bowl somewhere? Like I could see him. Let's say they lose Chris Godwin. AJ, AJ, AJ Green all of a sudden pops up in Tampa Bay. You know, there's a lot of different places these guys can go. I, I don't think Larry Fitzgerald is going to end up, you know, leaving Carolina. I think that's I about Arizona. As, Arizona, sorry. I think that's about as, as you know, much mm-hmm. of a lock as you can get. But the yeah. further down you look, I mean, these like little role players, Josh Reynolds, Keelan Cole, uh, Chris Connolly, D.D. Westbrook, Rashard Higgins. Rashard Higgins had an awesome year in Cleveland this year. He was Baker May- Mayfield's guy when uh, OBJ went down. He earned himself a contract. Willie Sneed, just a veteran. David Moore in Seattle. Uh, and then at the further down you go, it tends to get a, you know, a little worse. Demarcus Robinson in Kansas City. There's a lot of potential value there at the wide receiver position. It's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Uh, the other loaded position groups I have here, guys, I uh, have edge rushers and linebackers. There is a lot of really good guys. Now, Vito, you had mentioned that you thought the, um, the cornerbacks were really solid this year. And I tend to actually, I disagree. I have them in the weak category and we can debate that there in a minute. Um, but I look at edge rushers, Shaq Barrett, Jadavian Clowney, Ngakwe, uh, Bud Dupree in Pittsburgh. That's my Mel- big one. Yeah. Melvin Ingram from the chargers, Leonard Floyd from the Rams, but the, the name Alden here, Smith, Alden Smith, the yeah. te- the name here that intrigues me the most. And obviously those top tier guys, Shaq Barrett, I think he ends up going back to Tampa Bay We'll see how that ultimately plays out. Jadavian Clowney's been looking for a contract, it seems like, for the last, like, four years, uh, and he still hasn't gotten it. And I think there's there's reason for that. Now, he's disruptive. He just he, – he he doesn't put up numbers, but and he's not as disruptive as Aaron Donald or some of those other guys who, who are able – or Fletcher Cox, who are able to cause, you know, mayhem. I look at him more like Brandon Graham. Right. Brandon Graham is a guy who before this year, he had his best career stats season this year, but had never been a big stat guy. But what he did against the run, what he did in QB pressures, uh, just some of the smaller things that don't get the same shine as, oh, this guy had 15 sacks this year. Uh, Jadavian Clowney does a lot of that and at a really high level. So someone will get a valuable player there. Um, but again, the name that I wanted to bring up here is uh, defensive end from Cincinnati, Carl Lawson. Uh, you you never hear about him. He plays for Cincinnati his whole career, uh, but he is just he's a freak when it comes to pass rushing. You know he, yeah, he's he, he's a monster. He he can do it all. He can speed rush. He can power rush. He's got great footwork, great hands. He does a little bit of everything. And I would love to see him in a place where he can actually you know compete for for a championship. I think one one thing about this list too, like you said, you you add a JJ Watt to it, and then on the linebacker side. You know, because edge rusher, outside linebacker, you know, and then you talk about middle linebacker, they are different. But in in the middle linebacker section here, like you said, Levante David. I mean, that leads the group off. But you have KJ Wright, Matt Milano. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of these guys going down, like like yeah, you have I'm guys proud. who are really um, especially when you see a lot of three, four defenses that have to play two guys. There are a lot of these people or a lot of these players that um, you know, your second linebacker, inside linebacker is actually a starter. And so it does depend on the system a lot. Um, whether you're going to see multiple of these guys starting, which is why you're starting to see a lot more talent develop at the inside linebacker and speed. And a lot of guys playing it out of college systems. Um, You were talking about inside linebackers and you mentioned the guy who's number one on my list this year, who just, I thought, I mean, 
Levante David, you, you have to kind of give credit to. He's been doing it for seven years now in Tampa Bay. He wins the Super Bowl this year. I think he and Shaq Barrett both have to come back to Tampa Bay, and I, I think there's a good chance that they do. Mm-hmm. I think if anyone leaves there, I think it will be Chris Godwin because um, those are kind of the big three free agents you look there, and, and then obviously Antonio Brown, who they have. Well, I mean, Ndamukong Sue is another guy. Ndamukong Sue as uh, yeah. well, but getting a little older. Uh, yeah. Matt, Matt Milano has mm-hmm. uh, had an absolute breakout year for Buffalo. And I encourage anyone out there who's uh, maybe doesn't like to watch, you know, line play or linebackers and that kind of side, that kind of side of football, um, you know, go and just watch some of his highlights, man. That dude flies around the field. He gets his head in there. He gets his nose in there. He, he plays just really hard nose football. And I, I'm a big fan of Matt Milano. And again, if you're Buffalo, they're another team that's like, all right, well, if you sign Matt Milano, you're going to have to give him at least a, a decent size contract, but linebackers don't get paid a lot in the NFL. So it depends on, you know, what kind of price you can get him at. I think he'd be an integral part of getting that defense, um, you know, to, to come back here, um, you know, in, in the other side. Uh, moving on though, because that, that's basically just from, at least for me, and look, like you said, Vito, you, you like the cornerback class this year. So let's move over to some of the what I would say are the weaker classes. Why do you think this, this cornerback class is as good as it is? Well, I, I think when, like I said, if you compare the guys who are in the wide receiver group to the guys who are in the cornerback group as a whole, I think the corners cover these guys like on average. And I guess what I'm talking about when you have the top tier guys, you know, really Richard Sherman, Jason Verrett, Patrick Peterson, David, your Rhodes, Desmond King. I, I even like, I, I like Mike Hilton. I think he, he's made a lot of progress. Uh, AJ Boye, Denver, Denver released who like he was injured, but he's been, he was good before in Jacksonville. Like that's one where he just needs a real a year to play. Um, so I, a lot of these guys, I consider top tier guys. Uh, yeah. I mean, Richard Sherman is well. graded. He's graded higher than Jair Alexander since 2019. That's courtesy of uh, pro fantasy football. There you go. Pro but football even, focus. I'm yeah, sorry. Think, yeah. But like, deep down this list, you still have Josh Norman, a guy who, yeah, he's not what he was, but he's still good. Jason McCourty, yeah. um, you know, Drake or Patrick, these are guys lower on the list. So I, I guess that depth, like, I think there are a lot of guys, again, hopefully that, you know, a lot of these guys stay on their teams. Cause I think it's fun to have like a Xavier Rhodes and Indy, but if some of these guys can link up and, you know, hit up a different team, like I think the cornerback and coverage part of the game can have a drastic change in the sway of like passing defenses this season because of how many free agents there are. And I'm really interested to see which teams grab, which guys. And if anyone grabs two, like that's the big yeah. question is who's going to, or already has an elite guy who wants another one. If you can do that. Um, you know, that, that has a huge think, effect on your season. I, I mean, personally, I just, I, I disagree. I just think these, a lot of these guys are, are pretty old. You know, Richard Sherman has, played at an elite level much longer than I thought he would. Now, granted, he was never a quick twitched kind of cornerback, you know, like Patrick Peterson's on this list. Right. Patrick Peterson hasn't been good in a couple of years. You know, I think there's a I lot disagree. of, yeah, I think I, there's, a, I think there's a lot of names out there. I think Xavier Rhodes, like there's, a, there's a lot of names that you'd recognize Shaquille Griffin, right? Like there's, there are these guys whose names you will recognize, but from a production standpoint, just haven't been as good as they were earlier on in their careers. And cornerback is c- kind of similar to running back, where the shelf life of really good corners, unless you are someone who's kind of built differently for the position or just has elite level feel for it, like Darrell Rivas, those guys have elite level feel. Richard Sherman is is a long six one, you know, physical corner. Those guys can play a long time at the position, but for the most part, 
you will see turnover. Like AJ Boye, three years ago, was on that Jacksonville defense on the opposite side of Jalen Ramsey. Mm-hmm. And they were the number one and number two cornerbacks in the NFL. I'm not and saying these guys the can't championship too. Yeah. And, and arguably should have won it. And, and so yeah. I'm not saying that these guys, uh, you know, won't be productive and, and can't be productive. I think they absolutely can. Uh, but I also, I just look at the depth of the wide receivers there. And I think, you know, Shaq Griffin can cover, uh, you know, Nelson Aguilar pretty clean. I believe that. But I don't think there's anyone on this list who speaks out to me as like, oh, this is this is an elite level cornerback. Like, I don't think there's a single cornerback on this list who will get more than who will get double digits in, in per year as to, in terms of, you know, uh, money. Like, I don't think we're going to see a ten million dollar cornerback on this on, on per annual value, you know, and and, and that's in that kind of like Pro Bowl style. And again. All of these guys have the potential to have a good season to add value, especially considering if they go to a team like Green Bay, right? Let's say AJ Boye goes to Green Bay and he's playing on the opposite side of Jair Alexander, mm-hmm. or he goes and reunites with Jalen Ramsey on a cheap deal out and with the Rams. Like I think there is still inherent value there, but there's no one on here who's, who's going to be the same kind of value at their position as I think Chris Godwin can be, or Allen Robinson, uh, or, uh, Kenny Galladay or any of those guys. I, I think they are at a higher just overall. And there's also just – I just think this wide receiver class is loaded. I think there's so many guys like 15 deep that can that can make big plays for you, even if it's not like a number one guy. But um, it'll be interesting. I mean, look, there's always going to be guys in free agency every single year who people doubt who then ultimately have a massive – you know, impact on their team. And, mm-hmm. and it'll just be interesting to see. Uh, the other positions here I have, there's not a whole lot of good offensive linemen available. Now, luckily, and this goes for cornerback here too, um, there is a lot of value in the draft at both offensive line and at cornerback. So there's going to be a lot of younger guys coming in. Well, so the last two here I have in, on the weak category, which frankly doesn't need much defending the quarterbacks. Um, technically, Dak is unrestricted, but He's either going to get traded, it's an extension, or get franchise tag. So he's, you know, l- less likely to actually hit the open market. Uh, and then the next best one is Mitch Trubisky. So I think that's pretty much all you need to know. Uh, Cam Newton, Jameis, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jacoby Brissett. You know, there's some interesting guys there. You know, uh, the other position I have is the interior defensive line, which um, you know Leonard Williams is kind of headlining the class, um, but it. Uh, not a lot of depth, you know. You yeah, can find role Derek players. Wolf, there's a name. Derek Wolf there, was was what I was gonna was the it. one guy I was actually gonna bring up. Um, Nadamikin Sue, you know, Lawrence Guy. There's some guys who can who can actually help your team. Solomon Thomas, even though even though he's been primarily a bust, uh, considering where he was drafted. There's a lot of guys who you know if you bring on and they're in a supportive role, like what Nadamikin Sue was this year and when he, what he was like with the Rams. Uh, I think you can definitely find some value, but overall you're going to want to look and there's not a lot of value in that position either in the draft. So, and actually I mentioned this in my notes, keep an eye on a guy like Fletcher Cox getting potentially moved. Uh, he, he only has one, one more year after this year. It's a very manageable contract. The Eagles have you know, eaten about 85% of it at this point. And if you can't get somebody who, you know, could help you in the draft and there's not a whole lot of options there, you know, a team like green Bay, 
Um, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of different teams. I have a, you know, you could, you could go after, you know, Buffalo, Cleveland, Green Bay, Kansas city, Tampa Bay, all those teams could use someone like Fletcher Cox. I mean, every team in the NFL could, if we're being honest. So, uh, another guy to keep an eye out since again, that position's pretty weak here and the Eagles look like they're headed towards some sort of a rebuild. Um, the interesting guys here on this class, uh, to wrap it up here, the positions we have running back tight, uh, tight end. And safety. I would also add fullback on there because uh, yeah, Uchowski and uh, Anthony Sherman are both free agents this year who are Juice probably the, the, the two best uh, fullbacks in football right now. But the, the running back group is really interesting because the headliner is Aaron Jones. Now, Green Bay also has Jamal Williams who is a free agent this year. So Green Bay is going to have to make a decision because they're not going to be able to bring back both of them. They have A.J. Dillon there, and I don't think they're ready to give A.J. Dillon full-time responsibilities. So I think we both would agree, I think we all would agree, that Aaron Jones is the the running back that you'd want to have, but mm-hmm. he's also going to come at a higher price tag than what you could potentially get for Jamal Williams. So if you're Green Bay, are you just riding out the Aaron Jones train here? I think you do. I, I think a I lot think of these guys to. are going to go back like him. <laughs> Even now, like now some other spots, like you're saying, where they have to make some decisions that I thought was, um, you know, going to be pretty interesting was like, what, what is Seattle going to do with Carlos Tide and Chris Carson? Like th- those are some guys where I'm interested to see what happens there. James Connor and Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, I think you know, that's done, honestly. And, and that's, what's going to be crazy is like, you're saying these guys who, you know, a lot, a lot of the teams who draft them don't want to sign them long, long term. So, um, or, or like this. Have you just two, can't give big two. contracts to running backs. You just can't. Well, and if you have two of them, you, you pick one that you're, you're giving a little lower to, or yeah, you rotate them through kind of, it's almost funny how, because there's more throughput of running backs through franchises, they're, they're kind of worthless, even though guys are still playing still eight years or so, but they're just always doing it with a different team. And, and yeah. it's just the, the two running back systems become so common, but it's wild because I think both of those guys would fit so well, like in Seattle, but you know, realistically, it's probably going to be one and the other one. They're going to draft somebody young and, and run that rookie deal, like we yeah. talked about before. I would, I, I would the, lean Aaron Jones too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the running back position, as always, you got to remember too, man. Like you can, you can draft guys on rookie deals who come in immediately and, and make a difference for you, Scotty. I know you got to run, buddy. Uh, thanks for hopping on with us, man. Um, we'll get you My back pleasure. on here uh, coming up as as we continue down the line. Uh, Sounds good. The last two position groups here I want to hit on before we, we move on to the draft, um, the, the, the NFL draft outlook here. Um, tight end is an interesting spot because there's a couple of names right at the top who are intriguing, who I think can can make a difference depending on where they end up. Number one being Hunter Henry, who obviously we saw him have a ton of success with Phil Rivers at the end of his time there with the Chargers. Uh, and Jonu Smith is on that list as well, who has been a very reliable uh, red zone threat and, and just all around pass catcher for the Tennessee Titans over the last couple of years. And I think having a tight end has been really valuable to Tennessee. You know, they're able to work all three layers of the field because of what they can do in the running game with Derrick Henry working the play action off of that. Uh, and you're able to have a, just a reliable, and again, he's not like a world beater. He's not going to be like a top five tight end, but if you look statistically over the last couple of years, he's been in the top 10 since Ryan Tannehill kind of had his blow up. So if you had to pick between those two guys, which one would you be leaning towards right now? I think I'm going to go with uh, Hunter Henry just in terms of athletic ability. And, and I don't know if he's going to get out of 
I don't think either of these guys are going to leave their situations, honestly, mm. or it would be funny to see a swap, but <laughs> I think both, you know, tight end is so integral to both of these offenses. It's going to be really hard. I think they both end up signing with where they're at now. I, I think that's an, I would like to see them both go back to where they are. I think one of them will leave just kind of playing the odds on that. Um, got to remember because they're, they're, they're pretty different in what they do, right? Johnny Smith is really important in what they do in the running game. You know, he, he's more of the Gronk style of tight end. Who's going to run, who's going to run block as much as he's going to go out and, and, you know, try to catch passes. Hunter Henry is just, you know, if you need a good receiving tight end, he's a little more of that, like Zach Ertz kind of a mold. He's a good route runner. He's a better athlete than Zach Ertz was. Um, but then there you go. Zach Ertz is another one of those guys who very likely could be on the move this year. Um, you know, he's only got one year left on his contract. A lot of people think the Eagles are going to move on from him, whether there's even talks of packaging him in the trade with Carson Wentz out of Philly. I mean, Philly's just been like, <laughs> Philly's been like legitimately uh, absolutely on fire, man. Like yeah. no one is, no one is sleeping. No one knows what day it is. It's just, it's groundhog day, except every time he wakes up and it's like, Oh, it's Carson Wentz is getting traded day again. Like that's just how Philly is right now. And, and anyone who's a fan of those teams, I love Zach Ertz. I'd love to see him get in a place like, you know, like Indianapolis is one that's been rumored. Uh, but even just to go to a contender, you know, he, he made that amazing play in the Super Bowl that helped basically win win the Super Bowl for the Eagles, the last touchdown there. Uh, and he's been, you know, he will go down as one of the best pure receiving tight ends I think we've ever had. And I think part of that also has to do with how the game's progressed over the years. But, he, he you know, he has the record for most catches in a single season by a tight end. You know, he had like 118 catches in 2019. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Of those three guys, I think I would rather – I think I'd rather have – man, this is tough. I think I'd rather have Johnny Smith because I think Johnny Smith is more reliable. You know, Hunter Henry has had a lot of injuries over the years, and I That's think too. I think Johnny Smith just offers more uh, – as more of a complete player. And, and on the retention side, if one had to say, I, I do think that, well, you know, like you said, they both fit with their own offenses. But what's interesting is um, a couple days ago, or a couple weeks ago, uh, the Titans, um, they promoted Todd Downing. He's their, he was their tight ends coach to offensive coordinator. Mm. So I think what you're going to see, you know, he's probably going to sign his guy. And uh, that probably has a lot to do with why he's <laughs> offensive coordinator. So uh, I, I think that'll be interesting to see. That's awesome. Um, the last position here is the safety, the back end of the defense. A uh, couple of interesting names right off the top. Justin Simmons, Marcus Williams from New Orleans is a really good player. Uh, Jalen Mills was a huge part of the Eagles Super Bowl run. Anthony Harris, uh, John Johnson from the Rams. He is by far the most underappreciated Ram. Literally, I get his name wrong every time I talk. I bring him up. So, like, that goes to show you. But I know I knew his last <laughs> name was Johnson. Yep. I feel bad that his name is John Johnson. Um, but on the back end of that Ram secondary, he's another really important piece. We know that Leonard Floyd is also a free agent edge rusher. So there's a chance there again, with that nasty cap hit from the Jared Goff and uh, still paying $8 million for that freaking Todd Gurley contract. If that's not a perfect example of why you don't pay running backs, I don't know what is like Derek Henry is the, is the, uh, you know, the example that proves the rule, right. You know, he, you know, he, he is such a, a rarity that when you pay a running back long-term, because like Zeke Elliott got paid, production has nosedived since. Todd Gurley got paid, production has nosedived since. Um, we'll see what happens with Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry, but, you know, it's just, it's not smart to do. And now the Rams are going to have to let these, you know, 
subsequent like extra, you know, they're ancillary pieces. They're not going to be the, the main core pieces of that defense, obviously, but losing Leonard Floyd, losing John Johnson, that kind of stuff can be detrimental to a defense in the long term. Um, and the one name here that I'm, I'm most intrigued on is Keanu Neal, who was an absolute like menace the year that uh, the, the Falcons went to the Super Bowl. Like people thought he was going to be the next great defensive, you know, physical safety. He's very similar to Jamal Adams. Um, Keanu Neal then tore his Achilles or an ACL, missed a season, hadn't had another injury, hasn't really been able to stay healthy since. I would love to see him have a have a second chance in a new city uh, and really have a bright half of his second career. No, I agree with everything you're saying, but I got to say the guy who I'm most interested in and tied up in is Justin Simmons. I mean, he's been like the best yeah. defensive Bronco guy who came out of nowhere. We draft like he came out of nowhere really on, on my scene and he has absolutely produced when we've had guys just go down consistently on the defense. We've had really bad luck with injuries and, uh, and overall, like, he's he has held we we should be so much worse than we are and we're not because of him <laughs> and safeties have the effect to do that on a hundred right like yeah and and that's what i think like i'm scared shit do you think he stays we don't resign I, he i know he's like released a statement saying he wants to and he wants to stay in denver again i think he is just been playing at a very high level for the spot he's in and coordinating that defense and secondary um, I really, really would love him to stay and I would be willing to, you know, spend some money there. Um, yeah. he, he's a guy who the Broncos and every team has this, you know, you have the team or you have the guys who you draft, bring up and go on and, and do really well. Like we talked yeah. about, I mean, even on this list, Sha- Shaq Barrett, he's a, he's a Bronco guy. We drafted him and then he, mm-hmm. you know, we end up letting him go and drafting Bradley Chubb. And that was kind of the decision made, right? So you, you end up tracking some of these decisions and I really hope, we just make the decision to stay with Justin Simmons. We'll see. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and uh, we'll hit on some NFL draft stuff. All right. Now, uh, you know, one of the most in, in important pieces, integral pieces of the NFL offseason is always the NFL draft. And we have a, a fascinating draft this year, Vito. Uh, number one, and it reminds me a little bit of the Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield year, Lamar Jackson. Uh, there are a lot of really good potential quarterbacks in this year's draft, and there's not a whole lot that separates them right after the top. So right off the bat, I think it'd be the, the exercise to do, because we know more than likely we're going to have at least five quarterbacks taken in the first round this year. Some people are predicting that the first four picks might just go quarterback, 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 quarterback. Um, and I think there's good reason for that, because the top four guys, at least consensus-wise, I think number one and number five, I think most people are on board with. But to run through the list, we have Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson, Zach Wilson out of BYU, Justin Fields, Ohio State, Trey Lance, North Dakota State, representing the FCS, and fifth and final, Mac Jones uh, of the defending national champions now, Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, Undoubtedly, and I think, you know, we don't even have to hit much on it, Trevor Lawrence is is the number one overall pick this year. Uh, he just had his pro day on Friday. Um, dude can, dude can just sling it. And like, <laughs> you can't, like you, you can't put too much stock into pro days, you know, like ultimately at the end of the day, like you can see guys, uh, we were, we were talking about this morning on, on the radio show, like uh, Jamarcus Russell is known for having like the single greatest pro day of all time. He like, didn't, there was not a like- single, wasn't a single drop. 
he threw the ball 75 yards. Um, he threw it 70 yards from his knees. Like, yeah, he, it's just a legendary pro day. And then, you know, you go into, and obviously he's like the biggest bust in NFL history. Now, the reason, you know, it's, you can't put stock into it is because they're literally throwing on air. There's not even like a cornerback covering. It's just, these coaches want to watch his mechanics. They want to watch how he can throw the ball. But if you're not like a, a scout or a coach or anything like that, you're just watching like, oh my God, he just did the scramble drill. Like, I don't know if you saw the video of the scramble drill that Trevor Lawrence threw. He bombed it like 68 yards. It was mm-hmm. unbelievable. It was an incredible throw, an incredible catch by the wide receiver too. Um, there's no pads. There's no helmets. It's literally just like playing catch and running routes like we would in our backyard. But they just do it way better than <laughs> you know any of us ever could. Um, but again, Trevor Lawrence, undisputed. He's this, the highest rated quarterback prospect since Al, uh, Andrew Luck and RG3. It, it's undoubtedly Trevor Lawrence, number one to Jacksonville. And uh it's going to be really fun to watch him play. But number two is where I think a lot of people start to kind of differentiate. Cause I think, again, most people have Mac Jones at number five. I'm not hundred percent sold on that yet. I think the gap's a little closer, but that middle tier here is where we could see some interesting stuff happen. Now, a lot of people are high on quarterback from the quarterback from BYU, Zach Wilson. Did you get a chance to watch much of him this year uh, playing for BYU? I, I saw two games. So not much um, in all honesty. I've, I've watched some of the highlights, which doesn't really consistently hit it up. And I, and I got to say that feeds into my ranking. I really believe in Justin Fields. So I actually have him number two. Um, uh, but to talk about Zach real quick, it's he's one of those guys who you, you watch him play, you know, he has the NFL talent arm. He has the strength. He can zip the ball into some places. Um you know, I, I've, I've heard some, some of the tendencies and what they say about like, you know, he might hold the ball a little too long. He needs to get out quickly. He has a really good offensive line at BYU. So he hasn't had to deal with some of the problems that other people had. He's has more time, but um, I, I don't really, all of those things are great, but I believe, I guess in the game feel that Justin Fields has and his hmm. dynamic ability and throwing in passing, like his, I think, the way he can get passes off from some pretty hard angles, um, it's a lot different. Now, I, I let me preface this by saying I watched Justin Fields a lot this year, probably every game. So, uh, and I was pretty, you know, I was watching the fine tune come. I followed him since recruiting, and, and it's just really, um, he's he's my number two. Uh, then I have uh, Zach Wilson. Well, here, yeah, I actually, so, have Mac so, Jones, then Trey Lance. But wow. I, I want okay. you to hit on your what you think here. I, I just want to give my five, and yeah. I want to. Well, hear, here, that, I think that's a, I think that's spots. a better way to do it. So you you have Trevor. We both have Trevor Lawrence one. Number two, you have Justin mm-hmm. Fields. Yep. I am. I'm kind of like it's funny that you have Trey Lance uh, fifth because there's a part of me that wants to put Trey Lance second, um, but I'm gonna put Zach Wilson. Uh, Zach Wilson is, you know, remember everyone remembers Johnny Manziel, right? Zach Wilson is Johnny Mormon. <laughs> you know, the Johnny Menzel is Johnny football. Zach Wilson <laughs> is Johnny Mormon. All right. Like, or we call Zachy that. Mormon. Like he is the same guy, but all of the things that you hated about Johnny Menzel that made him a terrible professional quarterback are the things that Zach Wilson excels at. Now there's some rumblings. Like you always get around this time. Like, Oh, he's not a great leader. You know, there's all this, there's all this kind of other stuff going on. He wasn't a captain and they have like seven captains at BYU. I don't, fully buy into all of that. I think there's a lot of different reasons for it um, by all intents and purposes and all by all accounts, uh, Zach Wilson is a really, really good 
um, dude and just a really good player. I am a little worried. He's a little undersized. He's the guy who's kind of shot up draft boards, uh, you know, kind of later on in the year when people are like, wow, this kid at BYU is like really slinging the ball. They played a tough schedule and BYU, you know, normally plays a tougher one than they did this year. Uh, obviously with all of the, you know, COVID stuff going on and them being an independent, they weren't able to schedule the same kind of games that they normally are used to. Uh, but I think Zach Wilson, see, now that I'm saying this, I'm starting to, I'm starting to count myself back a little bit. I think he's going to be third for me. I'm going to finish number three okay. for is him. And I'm going to put Trey Lance at number two. Okay. Now, All right. Then let's get into Trey. So Trey Lance, uh, now I'll, I'll preface it with this. I am an FCS guy. I went to an FCS school. Trey Lance beat my team in the national championship game in 2019, in 2019, 2020. So I have a firsthand uh, account of Trey Lance. To fully appreciate Trey Lance, you have to appreciate North Dakota State and what North Dakota State is. And you have to understand the difference between FCS football and FBS football. And for a lot of people, it feels like, oh, it's the drop from Division One to Division Two, And that's not the case. It's Division One football. Uh, the guys that people at my alma mater, James Madison, Jackson State now with Deion Sanders being the head coach there, North Dakota, North Dakota State, South Dakota, the mid you know area of the country there, they have a lot of really, really good football players. And there are some insane stats when you look at like, guys who are ranked in recruiting, you know, two stars, three stars who choose FCS schools over group of five schools and even over some power five schools, you know, and, and the amount of transfers that come in. It's still an extremely high level of football. It just doesn't have the same recognition or respect that the FBS uh, tends to have. That you know, continuing down this line here, North Dakota state is like the greatest modern dynasty that we've ever seen. You know, like they have won, I believe it's nine out of the last 10 national championships uh, in FCS. The one that they lost was JMU uh, and, and JMU went to North Dakota state to beat them in the semifinals because they do a full on like 24 team tournament for the FCS playoffs. Mm -hmm. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, experience to watch it all come out. The offense that they run at North Dakota State is very complex. Uh, and when I say complex, compared, I say very in terms of how it compares to Oklahoma, right? The Oklahoma offense is complex, but not necessarily for what the quarterback has to do. The quarterback will have one or two reads, and they make it easy for the quarterback. What they do at North Dakota State is a legit pro-style conventional offense, right? He works through so many reads. And, and what a lot of the time what they would do with Easton Stick, who was the quarterback in North Dakota State before Trey Lance, Easton Stick, they would basically shut off so he would only have to read half the field, but he'd be reading that half of the field uh, in the way that a, an NFL quarterback would, in a conventional style of where the wide receiver progressions are, the layers that they have. You know, you, you have a deep route, certain things. It is uh, much more complex compared to the option style of offense that has kind of taken over the majority of college football. Trey Lance, when he stepped in, they didn't have to eliminate the second half of the field. That's the number one thing that people don't know about Trey Lance is that he is asked to do so much in his offense. And he did it the year they won the championship. He didn't throw an interception. He went third. He didn't turn the ball over. He had 30 touchdowns and zero interceptions. You know, he didn't and that's throw... all great, but I want to get to the other side of this argument because... What, oh, well, the, what do you say the other side is? The fact that it's the FCS? The fact that he's only really had one year of playing. 
That's fair. And, and I think when we compare him to some, and, and he, these are some of the guys I'm picking and choosing. So everyone, for, no, for sure. Be careful. But we're guys who had one year, big surges, Mitch Trubisky, Dwayne Haskins, Deshaun Kaiser, Paxton Lynch. Like I just think that it's harder to judge. And that's why I'm putting him lower because to your point, skill wise. All right. And, and let's get one thing out of the way right now. He's the same size as Justin Fields. He's six, three, two, two twenty. So mm-hmm. when Pete, like, I just want everyone to know, like, it's not a shorter guy, you know, Mac Jones is six, two, 200. And I'm pretty sure that's right around what Zach Wilson is too. They're, they're like a little shorter and, and a lot lighter. Trevor Lawrence is six, six and two twenty two thirty. He's a beast, but mm-hmm. I, I, for the comparison's sake, we're not talking about a small FCS guy. that's trying to make no. it like that's not they're built. They're yeah. built. And, and if you see him and you watch him play, like he's an extremely physical guy, he runs the ball really, really well. Um, and, and look, honestly, not only that Vito, he was supposed to have his second season this year, but the FCS mm-hmm. didn't play fall football. So he only got one game. North Dakota State scheduled one game in the fall, which was basically like, uh, hey, here's a Trey Lance game for you, NFL scouts and, and that kind of stuff. He ended up having, I think it was two or three rushing touchdowns. He didn't have a great throwing day. Uh, I think he, he was he like, end up with a pick. Like, yeah, it was, it was, and it was his first career interception. Yeah. And, um, and with the rust factor, like you're saying, it's one game. They didn't have full practice. Like the whole thing. They didn't I have a full camp out the window. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that also, I mean, but remember that means we are that far removed from, you know, watching him do his thing there. I, I like Trey Lance. I think, I think what they ask him to do at North Dakota state and Warren Sharp is, is one of the guys who uh, or sorry, not Warren Sharp. Daniel Jeremiah is one of the um, scouts for NFL network. He was an NFL scout for a long time. He is really good when it comes to uh, quarterback prospects and going into this year's college football season, he actually had him graded higher than Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Um, I, wow. I, I trust the, you know, I, I know what I don't know. And, and I may know a lot about the FCS and I watch Trey Lance play. I just, I really do believe, I think he's a special, special player. Um, and, and so, well, yeah. So then basically what I was just gonna say after that is um, I, I'll have Zach Wilson probably in that next tier. Cause I could see him, you know, coming in, lighting up, he's got an insane, insane arm. Like he's a small guy, but he's got an absolute missile of an arm. So I'll have Zach Wilson uh, third. I'm really down on Justin Fields. And it's not, and I'm not saying he's not going to be good. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, be a bust or anything like that. I have a lot of concerns about Justin Fields. He's very slow when it comes to processing the game. He's a better athlete than Trey Lance. Uh, I think what he can do with his side, I love his energy. I love his competitiveness. What he did in that game against Clemson in the uh, college football semifinals this year was incredible. But if you look at his games, you know, like he threw a lot of interceptions this year. He got very lazy with a lot of things like, and and that part of that might just be like, Hey, we were, you know, Ohio state was a absolutely loaded team. Like they were able to win a lot of games. We only saw six games, but I didn't love what I saw from a quarterbacking uh, standpoint. And I think he's a bigger project than people think. I think it's gonna. He needs much more development, and he's a lot more raw than a lot of people think. Remember, he only got to play like a year and a half because he was the in and out quarterback. With you know, would go in on third down, fourth down sometimes for Georgia. He leaves Georgia. He goes to Ohio State. He played one really solid season, and then he had this year, which was uh, six games. Or I guess eight games in total. Six game regular season mm-hmm. plus the two games in the playoffs. And I saw a regression from the year before, and. 
COVID plays an aspect in all that for sure. But I can't just say, oh, it was a COVID year. Therefore, these red flags that popped up no longer are there, you know? I think yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. He definitely had a couple games. I think statistically, he had a couple blip. He had two games really was against Northwestern and, and Indiana, I think. And yeah. he really threw a lot of picks and performed poorly in those two, especially the pocket was collapsing. But Ohio State, without a doubt, wasn't – they had a lot of offensive line mix-ups. Like, literally, they just had guys injured and guys couldn't play. Um, so, I also think that, um, you know – Taking this season, like you said, with a grain of salt and taking a step back and looking at it, uh, I, again, I, I follow recruiting, and in my opinion, Justin Fields was the best quarterback I've seen since probably Andrew Luck besides Trevor Lawrence. Take Trevor Lawrence out because yeah. he's I think he's the best since Peyton Manning. I honestly think he might be the best since John Elway. He's like the 100% grade in my book. Uh, yeah. But when you're talking about Justin Fields, he was a guy from the same state of Georgia that was coming out of high school who – ran a lot different offense than, than Trevor Lawrence. And, and I guess one thing that I would like to point out is, is he ran a lot of, a lot of legit, just basic high school zone read options. Right. And, and, um, and what I mean by that is it was a lot of read, read the defense end for the running back into the defense end coming in. And then you look up and there's a wide receiver running a slant and you can hit him. Like that was yeah. a lot of what they ran. He also, um, was electric obviously with that talent at that high school level. So when he got to a place like Georgia and Ohio state, he, I think he did make progress, but I think what we saw, especially this year in those games was him thinking so much and not playing quickly, kind of to your point of just like reacting decision-making. But in my opinion, that was his strong suit coming out. So I really think, and I think last year it was one of his biggest strong suits was his actual decision-making and quickness. So I don't know why that regressed, but I do think that he can easily get back to that. And that's why I really have him high. I guess that's where I'm falling with Justin and and why I, I see it a little differently than you, but I get what you're saying with the regression because it, yeah. it happened. Well, it, and I think, I think what you said his strong suit was, was his ability to react and kind of go off of certain um, just like that first read. And, and the fact that he did slow down when defenses played more comp, you know, more complex defense against them. Like, I think that is a knock against him. Like I said, Justin Fields, the, the, person like the football player I like a lot but Justin Fields the quarterback is a project and I think the two go hand in hand Vito like the fact that yeah he's good on quick reads and one two reads like that you don't get those in the NFL you get some of them you know you get a handful of them a game you know but traditionally you you have to be able to work through multiple progressions and it's one of the things that people were concerned with with Lamar Jackson you know Lamar Jackson was one read get the ball out so I'm not saying it's impossible but, mm-hmm. you know, Justin Fields, for as great as great of an athlete as he is, he's not the runner that Lamar Jackson was. He's not going to be able to play that kind of football. And yeah, you can work him out in space and you can do things. But I think there are some and again, he he has the fit, the makeup and the personality to not let those things be a factor. Right. To to take what he has and 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 ultimately improve himself down the line. I look at Justin Fields and my biggest fear is that I think he's a little like Jalen Hurts. I think he's a guy who you give him easy decisions and he he can make things happen with his legs and with easy throws. But long-term, bigger future, you know, how great can he be? Unless he all of a sudden gets better at reading defenses and working through his progression, you know, and again, that Clemson game was amazing. But we saw that version of Justin Fields once this year. 
And it was in that Clemson game. That was the only time we saw that version of Justin Fields. And so that's that's where my concern comes from. I don't I don't know if he has the mental side of it yet and to, to be the quarterback that he could physically potentially you know end up being. I know we're, we're both arguing different sides of the coin, but I'm glad at least we're talking through it. Yeah. Because I think the last guy who I, I had four, I sent you have five by choice of elimination is Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. And I think he's a really interesting quarterback, especially when you're evaluating him as a pro prospect. So like, what are your first thoughts when, when you, when you think of Mac Jones? I think he's underrated. I think there is a tendency to look at the offensive line that he played behind the quarterback that superseded him and the wide receivers that he got to throw to uh, in addition to also having Najee Harris that people all say, Oh, well it's the offensive line. It's the skill guys. It's Nick Saban. It's all these other things um, going down the, you know, the, the rabbit hole a little bit. I think Mac Jones has the potential to honestly be maybe not the best quarterback in this draft, but definitely in the top two. Um, he's a guy who's going to get drafted in the top 15 picks. And one of the things, you know, that at least you can, um, take away from here is, you know, Steve Sarkeesian is the new head coach at Texas. He was the offensive coordinator there with Alabama. And one of the things that Sark has been on the record saying is when he was asked about, uh, I forget who, I think he said this to Todd McShay. I heard this on, on McShay's podcast that at the start off the season, basically the message to Mac Jones was don't fuck this up, you know, to be a game, basically be a game manager. You know, don't fuck this up. Get the ball into the hands of the people that you need. And he said, by the end of the season, Stark had given him more of the, you know, more instructions, more information to download pre-games than he had ever given to a quarterback before. His footwork wow. in the pocket is incredible, right? Like we're, we're talking about a guy who, yeah, he had all of the talent in the world around him, but made so many big throws, and put the ball in the position where you know his guys can catch him. You know, it wasn't just all these insane one-handed throws after you know, one-handed catches, and and he's throwing. You know, he was throwing guys open. Right? There's a difference between throwing the ball to somebody when they're open and throwing somebody open. When you get, you know, yeah, there were plays where Devontae Smith is streaking down the field and no one's within ten yards of him. Those throws, you don't have to worry about throwing them open. But when you have tight coverage and you're throwing to your second, your third wide receivers. He is one of the few guys who is able to throw his receivers open. It's something Justin Fields struggles with. Justin Fields sees when the guy is open and throws it to where he sees it at that moment. Not, hey, I need to be a step ahead of this. I have to throw it here because this guy's moving here. And, oh, okay, now he's going to be open on the backside. Like that side of it is where Mac Jones really thrives on the mental side of football. And in the NFL, we're navigating more towards quarterbacks who can move, who can have an element with their legs. And Mac Jones doesn't fit that description. The first four guys ahead of them on this list all do. So I think there's a very good chance that Mac Jones ends up being one of the best quarterbacks out of this class. I don't know if he's going to be better than Trevor Lawrence, but I think he absolutely could be the second best quarterback out of this draft. I think that's how tight this gap is. And honestly, I'm going to switch my rankings. I have him ahead of Justin Fields. I I, I really do. I, I, think wow. Mac, I think Mac Jones is incredibly underrated because of all because of all of the things that he had around him his value has just kind of plummeted and in a lot of mock drafts we're seeing him go 15 to New England which would just be the most 
like New England thing ever, right? They, they replace Tom Brady. They have a bad year. They get a decent draft pick. And all of a sudden, in a loaded quarterback class, the most underrated of those top quarterbacks falls to them at 15. I think that's very likely. I think there's definitely going to be a team that falls in love with him. But, you know, he was he finished third in the Heisman this year behind uh, Trevor Lawrence and his teammate, Devontae Smith. But, you know, I, I really, really like Mac Jones. And I think he has the potential to be a special quarterback. One thing to, to then go back to this. So I, on, on deep throws, like we're talking about and hitting guys and throwing them open, Justin Fields was the most accurate quarterback on deep throw balls last year, 20 yards or more hitting 77%. It's impressive. Given short game, all that stuff. But I'm just saying, I, I think uh, like you're saying, throwing it open. And really, I think what we're getting at is when we're picking the weeds between guys that aren't, we're not even talking about as even an option at number one, this is going to be really, I hope, interesting and dynamic in terms of where these quarterbacks get drafted and where they go. Because Mac Jones, even there were reports out there that like they asked a couple GMs and they were like, you know, second, third round grade, fourth round grade. But we all know how that goes. GMs will rate them, but then the priority weights that position so high. Mm-hmm. So you still get those quarterbacks. Drive, they're trying to drive down first. his value in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. I think I, that's. Yeah, I, I was I, gonna say I think that's yeah, where you know. Well, as a quarterback, as a quarterback, you know, class, it's very, very deep, especially at the top. And I got to say, it's it's um, a couple of these guys I, I really believe in. And then we didn't even talk about Trask, who, who had a good season and, and some of these other guys, even Jamie Newman out of Wake Forest. Yeah, uh, there are a couple was, guys who an opt out. Who, yeah, I mean, Trask, Sam Ellinger, which is like, yeah, Sam Ellinger. I mean, I, I'm not a huge Sam Ellinger fan personally. Me either. Um, yeah, I, I think Sam Ellinger could, you know, could be a, a solid player. I, nothing from his playing career would would lead me to believe that. Um, you know, he's there are some bad there are some bad Sam Ellinger stats. He's he's just going to be one of those guys who was an awesome college quarterback and will probably get to be in the NFL for a little bit and probably fizzle out. Kyle Trask does. I don't think has the arm strength. Um, that's actually the last thing I want to say here on Mac Jones. The most underrated aspect about Mac Jones is his arm strength. He throws the best deep ball out of anyone in this in this draft class and that's including trevor lawrence like he is his deep balls are these just perfect arcing like if you if however you could draw it up perfectly in your mind how a ball looks when it comes out of his hands and the arc that it has and the accuracy of it on and look again when you're throwing to Devonte smith and jalen waddle yeah. you know but in a lot of ways it was kind of like a pro day like it, you know these those guys were so wide open that all you had to do was just hit them in stride and it would end up yeah. being a touchdown um i think these well, rankings and, will shift and, by the time we you know we get closer to the draft but for right now um yeah i i, I kind of like where i have mine at i'm i'm still very undecided about and, zach wilson he's the one i'm, I'm kind of most curious about that could go either way and if people are, are wondering, you know, it's funny when you look at this because we're going down to five for a reason. And in 2018, the fifth quarterback taken in that draft was Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about, oh, you know, they might hit once in 20 years. No, it happens. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the quarterback spot, you can get some elite guys at the fifth, the fifth quarterback coming off the board. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, even uh, look so, at Aaron Rodgers, right? Like Aaron Rodgers dropped all yeah. the way down to, to, to 23. He wasn't the first quarterback taken in that draft. So, yeah, and, you can always get you can always get value there um, in, in the back end of of the draft quickly here. I want to wrap up and, and hit on some of these other position guys um, in, in the NFL uh, or in the draft this year. Uh, in addition to having an excellent quarterback class, this is an amazing wide receiver class right now. It looks like Todd McShay and, and Mel Kuyper both have four wide receivers going in the first round. 
Um, they, the fourth one they have is different. Actually, no, Kuiper has five going in the first round because he has um, uh, Kadarius, Kadarius Tony in there as well. Um, but right off the bat, the question that I think everyone's asking at this position is who would you rather have? Would you rather have Jamar Chase or Devontae Smith? And Vito, who would you have? Uh, Devontae Smith. And and I I know that like Jamar Chase should be first. He's probably he's got 25 more pounds and still runs the same speed and is the same height. So uh, you know, take that for what it is, but just the getting in and out of breaks, I think is so elite for, for Devonta. And really, I just trust, you know, I trust both schools at wide receivers. Don't get me wrong. They have elite <laughs> guys in the NFL, both of them. But uh, I think, I think uh, coming out of that offense and that wide receiver room, I'm, I'm going with Devonta Smith. What do you think? Um, so I'm, I'm going back and forth on this, right? De- Devonta Smith to me is Marvin Harrison, right? He's undersized, great route runner, great speed, but just knows where to go. Uh, I, I think he's mm-hmm. going to be an elite wide receiver in the NFL, and I'm fascinated to find out where his journey is. Jamar Chase, I think, because he didn't play this year, because he was an opt-out, I think a lot of people forget how awesome he is, like just how fucking good he was. Right? We saw what Justin Jefferson do in the NFL this year. Jamar Chase mm-hmm. and Justin Jefferson were on the same team, and Jamar Chase was so much better than Justin Jefferson that year. And Justin Jefferson was a stud. But Jamar Chase was so clear in a way the best wide receiver on that LSU team, and it wasn't even close. He won the Belindikoff Award uh, that year ahead of really, really good players. But, like, his stats that whole season were ridiculous. And, yeah, he was playing with Joe Burrow, but Devontae Smith was playing with an insane lineup too, with an an insane group of quarterback – with a great quarterback, an insane group of skilled position guys. CeeDee Lamb was out there and Jerry Judy. Like, all these guys were playing for other teams while he crushed it because, to your point – he, he averaged over 20 yards a catch. I mean, he had 1,700 yards and 20 yeah. touchdowns. Yeah. Like, yeah. as in college, that's that's insane. As a sophomore. <laughs> like Yes, as a sophomore. Like, like and that's, like again, nothing against Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is, you know, he won the Heisman this year, right? That in itself was, was fucking crazy. Um, but everything he does and everything that he offers from an intangible standpoint, like who he is, his, the, his ability to work hard, the fact that he was out there competing against, you know, all of these great off, uh, offensive weapons, but mainly just that insanely loaded wide receiver room that Alabama's had over the last few years. And, you know, he was the one that, that touched or that scored the touchdown uh, to win the national championship game in the pass from Tua against Georgia in overtime. Right. And that's how his career started at Alabama. And it finished with him winning the Heisman and being only the third wide receiver to ever win the Heisman. Uh, but I just think physically, I think Jamar chase is just gifted. He's had this whole year. He's got one less year of wear and tear on him. I don't think he needed to do anything else. And there's going to be a lot of GMs who talk themselves out of Jamar chase because he decided to opt out. And, you know, down the line, as we get closer here, I really want to dive into what the impact of these opt-outs are going to have. Gregory Russo, we talked about a little earlier, how he has fallen from a locked top 10 pick at, at defensive end and outside linebacker to middle to, to the late first round. And I think we could see the same thing, especially considering that Devonte Smith then put together like the greatest season of all time. Um, a couple other names here just to keep an eye on. This is a really, really good offensive line class, particularly at the tackle position. I think we'll see upwards of five to maybe even six uh, offensive tackles get drafted this year. None better than Penny Sewell, who is the best offensive line prospect we've ever had. Again, go watch his highlight tapes because that dude just mauls other human beings. And he was still pretty raw his last year. He's another opt-out who 
He's just so good. Like I, he's still going to be a top five pick. I think it's almost a guaranteed lock that he ends up going to Cincinnati. Um, but like if the quarterback position wasn't valued the way that it was or the way that it is, then you would see Penny Sewell probably be the number two overall pick this year. Like that's, that is how good he is ahead of all those other quarterbacks, but that's just, you know, value of a, of a rookie quarterback is just off the charts. It's really interesting to, to think about best player versus best quarterback. And, and this year it really aligns, obviously it's Lawrence, but like you're saying, the value that he's going to bring for a franchise for 15 years, it, it's, you know, you look at Anthony Munoz, you look at, and not that, I mean, that's the highest company you can give a guy, but he's comparison, like his comparison to NFL players, again, are guys who are going to last forever and are really those slam dunk offensive lineman picks. So again, you, you can't go wrong getting them. It's a really solid choice if uh, if you're a team in that top five or six and everyone's going quarterback. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, last position here, and there's also a couple of good, really good cornerbacks there as we, as we alluded to a little earlier. Um, last position here, looks like we could have two first-round running backs here now. They're both more than likely going to be in the back end, uh, but I think both have the oppor- to have an opportunity to be really, really special players. Travis Etienne out of... Uh, uh, Clemson and Najee Harris out of Alabama. Now, I don't know which one. I guess it, it probably comes down more to you know, who who has a better fit, right? Who do you like uh, in in certain offenses better than other guys? Right now, uh, McShay has ETN going to the Jets at twenty three, and he also then has and actually they both have Kuiper and McShay have Najee Harris going to the Buffalo Bills at thirty. And I think if you're Buffalo, you take either one of those guys and, and, and you wouldn't even think twice. They're different styles of running back. You know, Travis Etienne is going to catch the ball in the backfield a little more, but he can do a little bit of everything. And I think the fact that he had a little bit of a down year this year, he got hurt throughout part of the season this year. He came back. He was eligible for the draft last year. He came back, which is really smart because last year's running back class was loaded this year, not as much. So I think he actually helped improve his stock, but he is a really, really good player. Uh, and Najee Harris is could, could be end up being one of those just freak running backs. Who do you like better right now, uh, Travis Etienne or Najee Harris? For, I'm leaving towards Najee Harris, and hmm. um, I think it's just because of the impact and the way they they do run pretty you know a little differently. And and um, I think it's also important to just kind of throw these numbers out there. Uh, Travis Etienne's 5'10", weighs 200. Najee Harris is 6'2", weighs 230. Uh, that's that's a hefty difference, and that's that's more in line with the Alabama like guy again, like Derrick Henry. Not you know, honestly, kind of like Derrick Henry in the terms of like I'm bigger and I'm I'm massive, but um, like we're I can run over linebackers and hit safeties and do all that, but also have the breakout speed. And I guess what's funny about it is that you know that's Alabama. Um, that's, that's the way there some of these running backs have come out. And so maybe it's the success that Henry's having, or, or I don't know exactly what it is, but I think that, uh, again, coming out of a program where you're not, you know, he didn't have as much wear and tear as ATN, all of those things are why I have him ranked above. Yeah. Uh, what, he, what he's, about 
He's kind of like if you if you if you merged Derrick Henry and Travis Etienne together, you would get Najee Harris. Like because Najee Harris is catches the ball really really well in the backfield. Yeah. He can do he can do everything you need from a running back. Whereas Derrick Henry is is not particularly good catching the ball out of the backfield. Um, but he's also he's not the physical freak that Derrick Henry is. Though he is close. Exactly. I mean he's just not. I mean Derrick Henry is just he's a defensive end playing running back. You know. Mm-hmm. Whereas he's Najee Harris, speed. yeah, yeah. Najee Harris is faster. Najee Harris it, it can cut has better cuts. Um, he can just do a little, do a little bit of everything. And I think either one of them, I think is a home run. Um, I don't know. I, I think ETN's value has, I mean, obviously, you know, the guys grading them both like ETN a little bit better. Um, I, I would probably lean Najee Harris right now, but I think it's a lot closer than, than, than people think. So, um, that's about all I think we got here on on the on the draft here. We went long on the pod here, so that's that's fine. There's a lot to do in, in previewing the offseason. But again, we're gonna get into each of these a lot more in depth uh, than we did today as as the offseason progresses, as news come out, as more of these you know quarterbacks start to move around. Um, but all in all, it's exciting, and uh, we got more stuff coming out here uh, later on this week. So I want to thank Scotty for joining us earlier, uh, my man Vito. Thank you, buddy, for uh, for hopping on the pod. Appreciate you boys as always. I'm Jeff. We will talk to y'all later in the week.